Welcome to Safe Room, BladeDisgusting.com's Dead Pixels horror video game podcast, delivering a horrifying new episode every Saturday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bow. And this week we're celebrating the 15-year anniversary of the original Dead Rising, uh, which was originally released in 2006 by Capcom, the game that kickstarted Capcom's open-world zombie series that's uh, seen quite the evolution over the course of its lifetime. But uh, this week it's not just Neil and I reminiscing, as we're joined by Chris White, a games industry PR veteran and longtime fan of the Dead Rising series. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Excited to be here and talk about some zombies. Absolutely, yeah. I think zombies are uh, are one of those subgenres of horror that everybody has had some exposure to, and games definitely have seen their fair share of the types of uh, zombie experiences, but I'm really excited <laughs> to have you here. In a lot of ways, is a homage to, of course, Dawn of the Dead, uh, especially like the original one, but it's so much more than that, right? If it was kind of simply just taking a concept that had been established in film, and then that was all there was to it, we probably wouldn't have a series that has some pretty high points to it, but also we kind of have a couple of a uh, couple of them trying and being experimental with new things that we'll get into, whether it was uh, successful or not. But for those that aren't familiar with the original Dead Rising, it's an open world action survival game that finds freelance photographer Frank West literally stumbling upon the story of a lifetime as he embeds in a shopping mall during the height of a zombie outbreak. And with uh, three days before his chopper arrives, Frank must uncover the mysteries behind the outbreak, save survivors, all while fighting off hordes of the undead. So uh, before we started recording, Chris, you mentioned uh, having obviously a general love of the franchise, but uh, especially for the original. So I'm curious kind of what about it makes it a personal favorite of yours amongst the entire series? Yeah, I think the the whole series itself is is wonderful. And I think everyone's probably got one favorite entry um, that they love above and beyond. Uh, for me, while I don't generally um, always tend to opt for the, the, the most punishing games, the kind of the souls likes because um, I'm terrible at games. I did really, really find myself getting into uh, Dead Rising certainly more than I did any of the other ones. The the mix of that setting, you say, the, the kind of the Romero's uh, world that he created, that, that wonderful world, uh, the comedy, the satire of it, the, 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 the deep references to lots of other um, Capcom IP. Uh, some, something about it just clicked, and I, I loved the, uh, especially, I'm one of those... Uh, people who absolutely loved the time mechanic with the watch and um, having to go to certain places and, and um, the new game plus mode as well. So you go in, you play, you fail, you level up, you start a new game, you come back, maybe you miss a mission so you work out how better to optimize your run. Something about that just, it really clicked with me. And before I knew it, I was level 50. I had a little notepad beside me. I was I was doing runs. Uh, I was trying to perfect it. I was trying to get all of the achievements as well. Uh, and and you know, hats off to, to Capcom and Xbox for for a series of achievement lists that challenge you to play in new ways, um, collecting multiple survivors and doing all sorts of different things. Um, there was there was just something about it. I think everything in that game came together. And while I know a lot of people bounced off the challenge of it, for me, I, it was so Moorish. I, I it's a game I still go back to uh, every year. Um, I'm a huge Romero fan. Uh, if anyone sees me on Twitter, uh, Romero Soldier is my handle. I have been watching those movies. Uh, well, I was far too young the first time I watched any of Romero's work. <laughs> I think everyone on this podcast has probably watched a, a horror movie way too early at some points while we're, we're here. Um, but yeah, some, some, something about it just clicked. And um, I have always been a huge Romero fan. 
um, I went to university and um, I did my dissertation on his work. Um, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've followed him uh, specifically on the the, the Dawn uh, the Dead trilogy, and uh, and getting this game, which was ostensibly it was Dawn of the Dead, uh, whatever the lawsuit says um <laughs> the unsuccessful lawsuit right well thankfully yeah thankfully <laughs> yeah. If, if i mean if it's you know who knows what it would have uh what would have become of the series uh if it hadn't um but you know as capcom successfully argued you, you can't really protect the idea of zombies in a mall um but yeah i think there, there was something that it, it clicked with me even from a gameplay level as well as the the setting and i think it's um it's incredibly enduring and it, i think They've they've taken it in certain directions and, and made it far more action focused and I think there's good points to that you know certainly allowed a larger pool of players to, to come in and yeah. you know like 14 million units it's certainly a, a well selling a, 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 it's done well as a series and sold a lot for, yeah. for Capcom to keep doing it um, so, but yeah so that that you know there's been a very long <laughs> long roundabout way yeah i like i like dead rising and i like dead rising one uh best of all hey neil how about you when uh when was the kind of the first time you came across uh dead rising and what was your sort of initial impression of it uh as i was saying before we recorded um you know i wasn't really an xbox guy ever until a couple of years ago but this was the game that made me want to get one back in the day because i saw it and like chris saw the setting like the idea of you know i mean resident evil had had a bit of that and it's that's great and that was an obsession but this was like oh but this has a bit more freedom to it and that sounds interesting but yeah i due to reading some very poor xbox magazines i decided against getting an xbox and <laughs> <laughs> it's far too derogatory towards playstation and you know still in my 20s still being a king uh, yeah i'm gonna fanboy my way out of that so yeah i didn't i didn't get to play it until the it finally came across uh, on PlayStation, and yeah, it was somehow still everything I hoped it was. I think because it was a throwback to that period of time where Capcom were making these slightly weird, slightly experimental kinds of games, things that were a bit naff in some ways, but in the right way. Uh, you go from that run from Devil May Cry, you know, which is you know, now may have aged badly, but in aging badly it has become like this you know almost 80s cheese fest that it made incarnate in a video game and dead rising has got so much of that where it's just so unaware of its its own stupidity at times and, and it doesn't give a shit about the story it's telling it's like saying yeah that's all that none of that really matters you know we're just giving you weird excuses to meet weird people and do and and hit things with shopping trolleys and whatever and it's delightful like that and I love that like Chris was saying failure isn't a problem here and it's always hard games where failure feels like its own reward uh, is where I end up benefiting the most from them you know when I think of stuff like XCOM or Sekiro or whatever it's like the learning process and experimentation always excites me the most about that and there's so much you can do, even in failing a run and Dead Rising and testing things out. And even if your goal isn't to actually play the game through, so you know, the editor, you just want to go and muck around in the mall for a bit and see what stupid things you can do. It, you can do that. Yeah, you can ignore 
what it does. And there are points in that game where it gets so absurd in how it's trying to make you do things, but not, you know, it's like the whole thing with cutting the guy off on the walkie-talkie constantly, which half the time is by accident, of course, mm-hmm. because you're doing something else and he'll call up and he just berates you for telling, for, you know, cutting him off. It's just <laughs> And then you just, you'll see something, you know, one of your missions is like all the way across the mall in another section, you're like... Nah, like that. You know, it's like it's like the you know it's core. The idea should be, oh, it's human life. You should care about saving all the people. And it's like, yeah, but if I go this way, there's a really cool weapon I could get, or there's something, you know, there's a boss fight I want to do. It's like over there, I'm gonna have to go through loads of bastards just to get to these people I don't really care about and drag them all the way back here. And it's like, it's that seems like it should be a criticism, but it's not. It's just the fun way that Dead Rising makes you play out that scenario and almost feels like an extension of Frank himself and that he's this boorish, uncaring guy who's only really going to care if it helps him. Risk plus reward, yeah. It's it's the gameplay gameplay kind of feeds back into him being quite an opportunistic uh, and selfish guy. That's it. And And he looks like an actual everyman, you know, like what they did in the later games where he looks just normal almost in Dead Rising 4 and in the original he just looks like this misshapen lump of clay and it's like but he absolutely looks like the sort of guy that would be papping people in the street and claiming he's some great journalist like that but instead you know he's stumbled upon this this story and he'll end up being cursed by it over the years as a result that's just brilliant. And when they did the movies and Rob Riggle was portraying him, you know, it's like, that's the perfect kind of actor for that. Perfect you know, casting. Like, yeah. It's like, because that's exactly the kind of guy Frank West is. And I don't know, when they got to four and they made him basically like Michael from GTA five, you know, in terms of looks and his personality, it's like, it kind of lost something for me. And he is so much the star of that, that, he's on his own little adventure doing what he wants to do and you can almost believe that yes he would go around wearing kids clothes and a Mega Man blaster whilst trying to photograph the zombie apocalypse he, 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 yeah he, he's so iconic and such a, a kind of a core part of the the identity and, and one of the, the key pillars of Dead Rising they, rele- they re-released a whole game just to, to shoehorn me, him in off the record is, mm-hmm. is Dead Rising 2.5 um, yeah. and I, I, I love that. I think that's, yeah, I, think I prefer brilliant. that to Dead Rising 2. I mean, it's because it takes you back to Frank. So. Yeah, Chuck is Chuck is great and Chuck's uh yeah. interesting. And I, 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 I don't know, sometimes I think the, the whole kids in peril thing and the dead wife is, is it's a bit of a uh Hollywood cliche, and it's certainly yeah. not the it's certainly not the um, I quite like the story in the first one. I think it's I think it's worthy of um, kind of that romero identity he was always quite oh, aware yeah. of what he was talking about and lampooning social injustice yeah. and stuff and he, i think you can whole, make something like that yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, th- I think the story around you know creating the zombie waves out of trying to produce more beef or something whatever it is that the, the government is doing that's nefarious <laughs> plot or something in the first one i i just think that really again i think that's another thing that uh another key point where i i, I really kind of just latched onto the game and, and loved it yeah uh you know, it is silly, as you say, it is silly and it is absurd and, and it's wonky as well in places. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, damn, it's... if it isn't 
really quite good <laughs> for it. it it's but there's a level of um not shonk uh, it, it is it, it's it's got polish and to have yeah. 800 something zombies on the screen but i mean i came from so i bought my my uh i very clearly remember buying my xbox 360 my first year of university all my university yeah. student mates uh, my, my flatmates and stuff were like oh we've all got xboxes it'll be great like yeah we'll, we'll play together and uh, got it brought it home it came with gears of war 3 i played it i don't get me wrong i i liked it it's a very uh, gears of war 1 sorry 3 or one about um it's a it's a very good game but i i blasted through it very very quickly and i went back to the shop maybe a day or two later and and i said to the the guy behind the cash back in the days when you know retail was the retail was the thing and you went in and you genuinely asked for recommendations and you know you got to know the staff at your local mm. game and game station uh i asked this guy and he's like look i, I just i have a feeling I have a feeling you're just you know gonna love dead rising and you know damn he he, he was 100 percent correct and I, I i don't think i moved for about three days uh from my xbox but <laughs> you know i, I remember I, I went to university in september of 2006 and uh november uh, i i I treated myself to an Xbox 360 in these two games, and uh, I have basically been playing Dead Rising One probably once a year since around 2006. <laughs> Which, yeah, totally understandable because I think since it came out, what, I think it was 2014, I think it came out on PlayStation finally, and it's like mm-hmm. the triple I pretty back. Much played it. Yeah, I pretty much played it every year. I think this year I played it on Xbox instead because it was on Gold like that, and generally old games play better there at the minute. But yeah, it's just it's endless fun to go through. In the same way, so many Capcom games of that era did were, you know, it's like I can go back to Resident Evil 4, even though it's not my favorite in the series, and, and replay that over and over again because it's just got those wonderful loops and it has that quirkiness to it. And all the way back, let's go to Devil May Cry. I can play things like that, and they do those special little formulas of these characters who, in theory, should be really unlikable idiots you know it's like even leon you know as cool as a cucumber as he is in four it's like he is also an absolute goof you know in what he in trying to sound cool he's like if every if the guy on the street was trying to be dante you know (laughs) and i just love those kind of characters from that era and that that you know is the one thing i've missed i think with more modern capcom remakes and rebirths of uh franchises is that it, they lack that a bit, you know. There's, it's a bit too po-faced at times, to the point that it ends up being a bit silly because they're so po-faced. But you know, I, I, I take a Frank West or, or a Rizzy Bawley era Leon Kennedy over, you know, an Ethan Winters, you know, just because it's, you have something there about them. So I was just going to say that kind of like quirkiness and the humor that we've been talking about is something that I think makes this one of the more accessible horror games of that era, right? I think so. This game came out uh, in 2006 and I was I was just starting high school in 2006 and I was the big like horror guy in my group of friends, but I didn't have an Xbox. I was the one that didn't have it, but I was able to convince my buddies like, hey, that all had Xboxes. Like one of you should buy this. That when we all hang out, we can play it. And them not being horror fans as much as I was, it was kind of a hard sell. But in getting to show them kind of like the quirky characters, the general bizarre weirdness, some of the stuff like you're eating just all this produce to heal and then you've got these kind of like insane variety of psychos, this clown that juggles chainsaws or you've got the overprotective kind of uh, supermarket 
manager that as soon as you kill him he kind of like sits up after dying supposedly and then he's just like shouts clean up on aisle six and then dies again like little moments like that i was really able to kind of like sell my buddies on the game and whatnot and then they were able to enjoy it in a way that it made them kind of like inspired to go back and watch dawn of the dead whether it be the Zack snyder one or obviously romero's which i would have preferred but again my buddies were not the biggest horror fans for me being like hey you should go back and watch this older movie it was that was an even more difficult sell for me but in terms of just getting people into horror i found that this was a easier sell than a lot of the other horror games i was interested in that time period and i think that the humor of the game is really what latched on to me that i searched these games out later once i got my own console and whatnot and got to experience them on my own just because it has the romero kind of dawn of the dead formula to it and yet the gameplay on its own i find is tapping into a lot of the different elements of like horror games that i really love and they expanding on that in a variety of sort of restrictions with the time mode and then the the urgency that comes with that and that okay yeah you have these main sort of milestone missions but then there are survivors that pop up and that sense of urgency like do i want to go mess around for a little bit before the next milestone do i want to kind of like hunt down survivors do i want to search out for that uh rare item or weapon to use there's just this structured freedom to the game that at that time i really liked open world games in a way that there was freedom but at the same time like it had this sort of rigid structure that hey if you goof off for too long it's going to be game over or yeah. you're gonna to have to start over and that and that was something that getting to play the game this last week in preparation for this something i hadn't done in forever it kind of just gave me an even greater appreciation for Dead Rising that it can be very silly and goofy and have this uh, ever-evolving list checklist of like goals and things. There is still this sort of structure to it that really forces the player like, hey, you can mess around for a little bit, but you need to get right back to it. And that's a feature that I've been able to really appreciate the older I get because, I don't know, uh, 16-year-old Jay would have wandered that mall for hundreds of hours but nowadays yeah. <laughs> like i need a little more rigid structure just being like okay i'm gonna mess around i'm gonna kill 100 zombies over here and then it's back to the story mode i think the one thing that the game does really well is it guides you it guides you through and and holds your hand to an extent and it does sort of say yeah okay we want you to go left this is how you do this or you can go right and there's nothing wrong with going right but uh, I think the one thing it kind of falls down on is that, uh, and I think where a lot of people bounced off on, especially if you kind of look back at the the reviews and the people who, who do look at it, even now look back on it less fondly, um, they say, oh, it was, it was so stressful. And the thing I think the game, the one thing the game doesn't do is it doesn't say to you, okay, here's a, here's a, uh, you kind of look at the grand structure of the game and all the opportunities that you have to do things, whether they're marked missions or, or side missions or even little secret discoverable missions, um, it never says these are the absolute must-haves. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of does, but not not in the same way. Like it, it throws to a new player. I mean, when the first time I played it, I was it's kind of daunting, and I played it on an old CRT TV uh, at launch before it had the HD uh, asset pack or mm. an HD TV. I could barely read any of the text on the screen. I was like, oh, God, I, was, yeah, I was about four inches. Yeah. I was about four <laughs> inches from the screen, um, so I felt like I was right in the in the game. But uh, I think the game uh, it, it it does present you with this huge sandbox. But I think for a lot of people, uh, this the stress of having this huge list of things uh, and and this this countdown timer, and you can you can if you want recommend it, but you can ignore so much of the game 
or the, or the game's kind of structure and you can just you can play your own way and i think once you go through and you play you get a few hours in and you, you die and maybe restart i think um i think a lot of people who bounced off it if they'd only stuck with it for just a few more hours just had one death and come back with a level five or six character who had a few skills and, and kind of knew their way around them all i can't i've always felt like i know so many people who say oh that game i i bounced off it man i couldn't i couldn't do it i was like no no it, it deserves those first few hours it deserves that first death and and you know you you there, there's so much to get out of it and you can play it you know you can play it like a really rigid structured time management game you can play it as a, an open world goofy sandbox game uh you kind of play as a hybrid of the two or just like kick back and enjoy the story i think you know people for for me they've missed uh um they've missed a lot of opportunities with it in in not yeah being willing to experiment yeah i think at the time you know grand theft auto was the thing that was making open worlds a thing and that was many people's idea of what an open world should be and you know a freeform game because and they're not going to be pc players necessarily and where you might have got a more that kind of experience that dead rising offered and that's kind of why it was a perfect fit for xbox at the time because you know it feels very much like it could have just jumped off the pc in terms of how it's structured and i don't think many games on consoles were like that at the time i mean it, we, so, it was the year after less than a year after resident evil 4 had launched so Res, resident 4 yeah. was 2005 this was 2006 mm-hmm. this was the year of the wii the year of the ps3 um uh what else uh, uh oblivion as well i think was this year i think mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, 2005 yeah. like you said it was it was it was there was there was nothing you know there was you know i, I remember browsing the the shelves there was nothing like it yeah. At all. Is it, I mean, it's the same, exact same reason why um, Oblivion sort of took people by surprise, I think, because you didn't, you know, no one had really got into Morrowind so much on the original because not many people had owned the original Xbox comparatively. And here was this thing that was like this Western RPG that was so open world and oh my God, you could do all this and it looks like the Lord of the Rings. Well, it's like, and I can see exactly why you go into a game like Dead Rising where it appears to be quite freeform and then it takes it away from you and says, mm. well, actually, you'll fail if you don't do that and you'll fail at that, but doesn't really communicate the idea that you can do more than that because uh, you were still in the age of games not literally explaining every little thing to you, you know, <laughs> where to, yes. to make sure you understand. You know, it's like... And yeah, I can get why that was intimidating. I think that kind of game now... If it came out, people would be raving over it in the same way they rave over something like Hades, you know, where it's like, oh, look how it reinvents the idea of a roguelike because, you know, at its heart, this is a roguelike. You know? It's like you go through, do that, get certain stats, get certain things, you fail, you try again, you know, and with the knowledge you had from the first time. And yeah, it's a game out of time in that, in that respect. And I think that's why it holds up so well still. You know, for people who like that sort of thing, like I, I think that's why it is still the standout, you know, in terms of the entire series, because it's the one that feels most pure to its original idea. You know, it knows what it wants to be. Two felt like them trying to sort of go, well, you know, we don't want to do the same thing again, and we want to try and appeal to more people. And we were getting to that point in the games industry where, you know, games were becoming really big. And 
yeah, they wanted to appeal to more people, and there was the Call of Duty crowd was now a thing, and yeah, I think it's such a precious gem of its time, you know, in that regard, because a year or two later, and you wouldn't get the Dead Rising we got. You know, it would have been a very different beast because the way well, Xbox themselves changed the landscape, you know, in terms of being the place where COD was and Halo was and like that, being online shootery and things like that. And I think, yeah, we would have ended up with Dead Rising 2 style stuff rather than the original, which is not awful, but I don't think the series would have really got the lift it did. Yeah, I think I think the first one is the one that's only the the only one in my mind that's any got any real sense of peril to it. So, hmm. you know, Frank West is not a soldier. He's not he's not even a, a hero, right? Like he's just he's a dude hmm. who happens to be in this situation as as a result of his own hubris, and he has to kind of make do with what he can. I think the the tape it or die stuff was a was a fantastic promotional campaign that translated into the second game. But once you had the the combination weapons and then in the third one the combi vehicles and then the fourth one yeah. the power suit there there was no peril even even the bosses in two and three and and four and stuff there, there's no peril you can you can almost guarantee you're not going to get killed by a standard zombie unless you're you know running around with like one bar of health and no yeah. no food the first one you could you could be well provisioned and healthy and you could get into the wrong situation and it's, you, you're dead and that to yeah. me was always uh, felt like a, a Romero film. Best laid yeah, plans doesn't matter. That's the, core. that's the core of any zombie thing, you know. So the idea that you're a man's own hubris will get them fucked over, even when they are facing an enemy that is slow, because sheer numbers means you're not always going to be looking in every direction. And you're going, oh, I can get past that. I could do that. Before you know, oh, you got grabbed when you didn't think you were. Oh, you got grabbed again. Oh, you now you're cornered, and then yeah, and it happens so often because oh you picked the wrong weapon up or you did this or that you forgot you sacrificed that extra health giving food just so you could have a backup weapon because you were going through an area and yeah it's so wonderful how flexible the game becomes in that those little moments and again that roguelike element to it where it doesn't play out the same way the next time you play it because you know you'll know where certain things are but the situations can change so easily because you make these little micro decisions that alter what will eventually happen and especially with the you know night time where the zombies go even worse and you know can do so much more damage mm. it, it there's just a whole new problem and that's the brilliance of the time management i think where you have this idea of oh well I could plan to do this, this, and this, but you are almost guaranteed to get distracted by something, you know, because you're like, oh, I'm close to that. I could do that. I could do that. I could go that. No matter, you know, best laid plans several times playing through the game, and you go, yeah, but I, if I do that first, maybe I'll be all right. And then, yeah, undoubtedly, you go off, do that. You wander too far, forget what you're doing, get killed, and you're like, Fuck, I have to do all that shit again. <laughs> it's yeah. like, but it's your fault, you know, that, that's mm. the best thing about it. it no matter how clunky the game can feel, you get used to that clunkiness. And you, in the same way you did of Resident Evil games, you know, but the tank controls, you know the limitations and therefore you know what will get you in trouble. But that little part, you will always go, well, a little bit more, a little bit more. And yeah, it 
is perfect. And like I said, in that sense, because games that let you fail like that are the best because you just kind of chuckle to yourself sometimes when you do it. And you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, I should have done that. Yeah, it's like, but it's like, you know, I can appreciate that. But the game's good enough that you want to go again, you know, and do it. And the shout out for the um, infinity mode as well. So 72 hours and then the overtime mode, that extra day they give you. But I always liked uh, that there's this hidden mode that uh, I mean, at that time, you know, the, I'm, obviously the internet was a thing, right? But certainly yeah. not not today. Um, and I can't help but feel if they did a promotional, like the, a relaunch of it today and it was introduced for the first time, that would have been a selling point. The idea of this 72 hour mode then the overtime mode then the infinity mode that would have all been revealed mm. but at the time oh, yeah. i i just happened to discover this thing and i love how it turns the entire thing on its whole head on, on its head where it's it's not about a guy who's in a situation where he's trying to look after himself really there's a lot of benefits to looking after other people and protecting survivors yeah. and, and in in infinity mode it's like no go in take all the food take all the weapons kill all the survivors it's it's carnage and i did i feel like by the time you get to infinity mode you're a seasoned player but yeah. i just loved how it took that 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 kind of cool concept of the game and it flipped on its head and said okay cool you've gone from being this kind of oddly shaped hero who lumbers around and can weirdly do like somersault kicks and knocks zombies heads off eventually <laughs> to, to this complete bastard who's who's there to you know shoot old ladies and, and store clerks and stuff and steal uh, their apples uh, and and i you know again i think that's uh, another part of the endearing uh feature of it is that it, it's it, it's enormous as well like you can yeah. go through I, mm. I, I, as you, i sent you guys earlier the the clip for um uh games done quick doing their their weekly uh hot fix um it's the the uh, fortnightly um what's it called uh tales from the crypt i think crypt i can't remember crypt something um but they were playing dead rising 2 uh and even even running that quick and and taking advantage of all the exploits and stuff that's still like i think he does it in about an hour 35 and that's that's cutting out everything the the the, the scale and the size of these games with the extra modes mm. and if you want to play dress up and stuff the, the the value in them as well like there's a normal i mean i i blasted through gears of war in in a day day and a half something like that i that was pretty hardcore yeah. play it took me it took me days days and days and days to get through dead rising yeah. the first time and then to level up and then to get the modes and then to start trying perfect runs and then to get the achievements like it, it's huge yeah yeah i mean it, it's like i said before it is that extension of that time where capcom were good at that you know they, they could make these games that seem short and simple on the surface but always had an incentive to come back again and again and again and do stuff and it, it is very true my favorite games of that time from that company that all have that you know they all have that replayability that is not just like them saying oh well you know we have replayability to you it's like that just it reveals itself you know with time and experimentation well the depth i think really speaks to it being more than just like a homage to Dawn of the Dead, right? Because again, mm -hmm. if it was just that and it was devoid of a lot of the kind of features and fundamentals we've been talking about, this idea that like, okay, you have to essentially teach yourself how this world works through experimentation and going out of your way to take risks. And you do have to die a couple of times before you really learn how to play this game. And mm -hmm. I find that obviously the further into the series you go, uh, I mean, just this week I played one and then I played two and then a little bit of off the record. 
and all of my deaths were in the first game because I had to reteach myself <laughs> basically the fundamentals. And then once you get into two and then two point five, we'll call it, um, it it just becomes so much more simpler because even though a lot of the mechanics carry over, the new mechanics of the game are explained explicitly within the first forty five minutes of the game, and there's not a lot of experimentation in the same way from a gameplay perspective. That's why I think uh, earlier when Chris mentioned like the Souls games and kind of the hardcore nature, that's an element of the original Dead Rising that I think had it been re-released within the last three years now in HD port or whatever, uh, or remaster, I think it would resonate a lot more with audiences because Mm -hmm. you have to go out of your way to explore areas. I mean, talking about peril in the first game and that dissipating the further into the series you get, I mean, the first time you stumble across one of the psychos in the original, like that is a holy shit, what the fuck moment because all of a sudden you're thrown into this boss battle. You don't know, you're not giving any pretense about them other than their appearance. You don't know their attack patterns. There's no indication of like, okay, take cover here, do this, do that. You're, I'm thinking about the, uh, the supermarket battle with Steven and how, you're just thrust into this boss battle and you've got this massive environment and zombies start spilling in after a while and you don't realize until he shoots you point blank that, okay, I can't just run right at him or I can't really... You can sneak up on him eventually once you kind of get a handle on things, but initially, if you kind of just try to do a simple uh, flanking maneuver, he's very keen to that and then you get shot and you lose two or three health points Um, and it's one of those things where a majority of the psycho battles... The first time you encounter them, you're probably going to lose if you don't have oh, yeah. a well-equipped yeah. inventory. And you learn very quickly that, okay, nothing, no environment in Dead Rising, you can really sort of just wander through unless you've already cleared it before. You have to treat yeah. each new section as if you are going to die within the next like 15 or 20 steps. And they want um, you because, to die as well. They want you to yeah. die and to yeah. restart. And, mm-hmm. and and what I th- th- what I thought is, is great, uh, you know, you kind of bring it back to the psychos and i think that's kind of a staple that a lot of zombie uh, uh kind of culture has has latched onto is that yeah zombies are you know dangerous but it's always that the the real enemy is man right not to kind of beat mm-hmm. us all over the head with that sort of that that, that <laughs> metaphor i mean i think that's you know possibly why walking dead has has atrophied a little bit because it, it's it's always you know that sort of yeah. same that same template but the the as you, as you say, you're you're walking along in Dead Rising, and suddenly you see this cutscene in this person, and and who was a normal person before, and the the situation has driven them mad, and and they're they're far more dangerous than anything. And hats off to Capcom as well for having, I think, something like uh, twelve something hmm. psychos in that the in, right. in the first in the first game. And you don't even need, I think, even from a story perspective, if you just play the, the core story, you're not even going to um, uh, meet about half of them. There are so many mm-hmm. that you you can meet. So I think he's Cletus, the gun store owner. Uh, yeah. You you won't meet him uh, at all if you don't go to the gun mm-hmm. store at a certain time. He's 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 cleared out and he disappears and stuff. And um, I think it, you know, there's that whole challenging, which um, it, it, it kind of goes back to that. There's the idea of it wants you to play in a certain way and then once you learn that way you can play your own way and and one of those ways is that kind of the idea of perfection and and the, yeah. the perfect run and that's why i had my notepad and it's always like okay cool so i've got to go here and i've got to go here but i know it like 245 i've got to be here and i've got to kill this psycho and he opens a shortcut which then lets me jump around the whole uh mall with ease and stuff like that so i it's 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 brilliant in its uh in its design um but yeah. it's acceptance to 
say, do you know what? Yeah, if you don't go here on your first run and you play for like 14 hours, you may never go in this part of the mall. You may never see this guy. You you know, and and areas become vastly different. I think um, the whole area became much more threatening for me about half the two thirds of the way when the cult turns up and they they turn up for for a good couple of acts and they're there and they're 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 in a few specific areas, but they're they're terrifying. Like if you find yourself unprepared for a, an experience with them you know you get knocked out you lose all your weapons you end up in that crate and you have to fight your way out and that's <laughs> you know I I, I I died multiple times because of, of mm. those guys and, and had a, a restart because of them well mentioning the cult I mean I was at a certain point in the game where I was getting adventurous and I was like I'm gonna go run around oh there's a movie theater there and I was exploring the movie theater and I come to one of their sort of like ceremonies but there's nobody there yet because they haven't shown up so I'm left there standing looking at this mannequin that's been speared with the sword and there's these crazy eye symbols and this very like uh, elaborate flames everywhere. And I'm like, what the hell is this all about? Because my memory was not as uh, as strong with what happens in the game as you guys probably. But it was one of those things where to an early on player that maybe has never played this before, like little moments like that are very intriguing. And then later in the game, when the cult shows up, you're like, oh, okay, you start connecting the dots. And it's one of those things that while there are these sort of like rigid time constraints and you've got the milestone events and certain events are going to expire before you get to them in these things, there are still little moments in the game that on my first playthrough, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to make a mental note of this. And if this never evolves into something or I never experience this on my next playthrough, I need to focus on that and I need to prioritize that. And to go back to what you were saying, Chris, about just the value of this game and how massive it is and how, a majority of people, if they bounced off of it within the first four to five hours, they're never going to see that value. And that's one of those things why this game, I think, is really primed for uh, for obviously celebrating its uh, 15th anniversary, but also just getting a reappraisal in a lot, in a lot of ways. And it's sort of being a standout amongst the series that continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger and still have merits to all the sequels. But at the end of the day, for people like us, I assume, uh, not to speak for both of you, but like the original is such a staple in the series and still doing certain things that the sequels abandoned and then never really capitalized on the true potential maybe of uh, some of the fundamentals of the original. Mm. Yeah, I would have liked to see the sequels. Um, I think there's, there's there's good points to all of them uh, uh, and not mm. to kind of be that guy who's going to like cut that and say, oh, yeah, everything's, uh, every, everything's <laughs> good, right? Yeah, I think there are weak points in the thing. I, I would have loved to have seen um, some of the hardcore elements return but make them optional so do you know you, yeah. you can play on normal or hard or ultra hard mode as we were kind of talking about like in in four and stuff where they added in the the post-launch updates that add hard and ultra hard mode yeah. you could blitz through it so quickly with like the, the mechs and stuff um I, I i always wanted in two and three and four and uh, case west case zero as well i always wanted the option to kind of go into the menu and say that to be this thing say are you uh, a diehard Dead Rising fan are you yeah. are you an aficionado do you love the original one and if I say yes then it just brings in that hardcore mode I've got someone on a phone or a walkie-talkie calling me and I have to judge am I am I in a good position to take this call or lo- lose this 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 opportunity uh you know can I go get this person in this time like that for me that would I love the I love the suits the power-ups um was less a fan of the cars the vehicles mm. took it in a completely yeah. different direction it became like calm again rather than mm-hmm. dead rising and i was like this is not what it should be for me but um i i i love the series i love kind of where it's gone 
um, but I always wanted it to have that option where I can just like I can call it like a classic mode or a hardcore mode or, or something um, yeah. where it feels like a, to, to me I know we're what four games one semi sequel and two episodic di- uh, uh, digital games mm. Jesus Christ it's something like um, Capcom's website has put it down as like 22 SKUs which is mad when you think <laughs> about it um, yeah but for for me, in a in a series of like twenty two entries, apparently, uh, the first one is still the best, and it's that it's got that that staple identity is is kind of I would love to see. There's bits of the DNA throughout. For me, a, a Dead Rising game will always be the the pressure in the story and the situation because that, that's what the zombie culture and, and kind of these all these stories around zombies and the apocalypse are. Right, it's pressure and it's it's yeah. there's no doing things at your own leisure and it's that kind of stress and uncertainty and um i think you know you you lose that in, in some of the later games that again the kind of lack of peril i think yeah i mean one of the big balances the first game has is uh, in how it remembers it's a game first and foremost you know and, and acts like a game in so many ways but as we were saying earlier, it feeds into the character themselves. And, you know, he is the perfect character for a zombie apocalypse in a sense of everyone thinks they would be all heroic or whatever like that. He is the guy in the apocalypse. You know, like he will yeah. take every opportunity he can to do what he needs to do to get what he wants like that. And I think that becomes, you know, when Dead Rising 2 is straight away, is like, it's not that anymore. You know, it becomes, then it becomes what is now like, standard uh, zombie apocalypse media which is oh well you know everything's sad for you and you've got to make sure that you keep your kids alive and your family alive and it's all tragic oh you might be dying from this thing and oh right that, like that and yeah that, that's wonderful sure if you want that in it but it's so rare that you get to play as such a repugnant sort of guy like that and who yeah, fits video games you know, in a way. You hate to say it, but you know, for the audience <laughs> generally, for video games, that's the kind of guy that should be a lead in a zombie apocalypse game. Because you shouldn't really be, oh, we're going to go and make sure we save everybody because it's the right thing to do. And that's pretty much what two and three do. You know, it's like it's all more morally centered, which is yeah, fine and well. But so much has done that now in the last. Know, in the last 15 years even what 17 years maybe since the zombie stuff exploded again when Dawn of the Dead remake and Shaun of the Dead came out and I just think it needs it's nice and refreshing when you have something that is very again very Romero you know the kind of person who isn't a pleasant person and isn't really a hero um Dawn of the Dead is a key example of that. You know, it's like nobody's really a nice person or a great person. They're just not as bad, you know, like that. But they don't beat you over the head with it in the same way that, say, The Walking Dead does, where it's like, oh, you know, he was a good guy once, but the world has changed him for the worse. And like that, it's it's a case of like, no, this guy was a shit. And the fact that he is a shit means he's surviving and he's doing well out in this world. You know, that, that's it's like brilliant. That like the dead rising movies so the, the the two movies are fine they're okay you know mm. if you're a, if you're a kind of a core fan i think you can get something out of them if you've never heard of 
Dead Rising at all. I think you can just sit down and enjoy the zombie media. Mm-hmm. But in in uh, three four hours of combined uh, uh, entertainment, the the best bit is like the three or four minutes when Rob Rickle turns up as as Frank West yeah. on that newscast <laughs> and and just gives that really outrageous and quite insensitive and very rude. Uh, but he's like, yeah, yeah, cool, whatever. Yeah, everyone's dead. Yeah, it's fine. Cool. Well, we're alive, aren't we? Whatever. Who, who cares? Come on, let's go have a drink. And and I, he, it so perfectly captures who Frank is. Uh, I think it's probably the most. Um, I think it's probably the most authentic moment from both of those movies that kind of reflects yeah. something from. And as you say, you know, Jesse Metcalf's character is trying to. He's a reporter again. I think something about his daughter or something. I, th- I think he's got a yeah. kid in it as well or something. I can't. I can't remember. It's been a while now. But yeah, I think um, it, it tugs at the same strings that the second one does. But for me, again, it's that that moment when Rob Rickle turns up and he just gives. I that mean, yeah. is that not? I mean, when you think of Capcom's movie output, those few minutes and those two movies are the most accurate representation of their games out of any of them. You know, it's like all the Resident Evil films, the Monster Hunter film, whatever. That that is the key moment that's the first time they've ever really nailed on what their games are about you know and the characters in them well if we'd ever gotten the george romero resident evil movie having read the script which is which is yeah. uh you know I, yeah. I, I don't know how well that would have translated to the screen at that time um with with what kind of the effects were and stuff i i, I live i live in hope in, in naive optimism that he would have knocked it out of the park um hmm. but yeah i think there's 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 um there's a kind of an identity that uh, Capcom nailed uh, with 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 Rob Rickle as, as as Frank and stuff, and I live in hope that um yeah the the Resident Evil films have um kind of translated the the source material in a way that's that's very accessible, but not probably as authentic. Um, yeah, and I, I I live in hope that one day someone. Uh, decides to dust off Romero's script, which is very, very good, and is very, very uh, keen, uh, 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 keen to kind of stick to the, the source material. I live in hope that one day someone will make that. Yeah, I mean, I hope Johan Roberts' you know, film, given that it takes elements of that, I will at least have something closer to it. You know, and at least in there, the casting is fairly good. You know, in terms of uh, character, uh, you know, people. Having the personality, you know, the Chris Redfield casting that film is spot on. You know, like the first time I said that about anyone in that universe, it's probably Claire. You know, in the the old films. But yeah, sorry, tangent. Anyway, <laughs> the key point to take away is Rob Riggle as Frank West is the best bit of Capcom film casting there has ever been and will ever be. I think because I don't think anyone's going to top that because. It's a B movie, and he's doing it in a B movie way. And it's like, and the big problem with a lot of other Capcom products when they go to film is they don't treat it like that. They treat it like this big serious thing, and they ignore the characters that everyone loves. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's good in that regard that they treat it as it is, and it's maybe at that level. I think Dead Rising being what it is, it is a sci-fi. TV movie uh, sort of thing you know if you're going to make a movie out of it because it's absurd it's silly it's got a horrible unlikable protagonist and you can't really do that in modern mainstream Hollywood movies because you know even the guys who are anti-heroes or women who are anti-heroes you have to have some sort of 
quality to them where they are oh you know well okay they could be good you could love uh, we can be fond of Frank West not because he's good or there's any redeeming quality but because he is the perfect fodder for that environment and he's the perfect uh, avatar if you will for the player and it's like you are the game is never going to make you care about the plight of the people that much and you know what you want to know is well what's happening with the story why is this happening what's the conspiracy behind it and that's Frank's problem as well so you will sacrifice human life you will do this that and the other to make sure that that happens that you get your answers and you know I think in off the record they sort of touch on that where it's like yeah you know you did that and it really wasn't worth it <laughs> it's great I love that it's like, and that's brilliant about him I think it, yeah, it shows that as much as he gets everything he wants it's still not enough but that's why I think for me at least like off the record resonated a lot more with me than just Dead Rising 2 right because mm. I saw Chuck as being the equivalent of like the super soldier right because within the first 30 seconds of meeting him and you're doing the uh, the motorcycle with the chainsaws on the handlebars uh, oh, reality show yeah. Yeah, slicedicle. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I can believe that he's going to do all of these different sort of weapon combinations and crafting things together and using uh, increasingly ridiculous but very fun to use uh, weapons to cause all sorts of zombie carnage. Whereas in Dead Rising 2 off the record, sure, all of those elements are there, but Frank West is there and he is now a veteran. So I'm almost buy into it more that Frank West now is in this next zombie event and it's this whole idea where it's like, yeah, he's learned a thing or two, but this was not all sort of second nature to him. He had to go through the experience of the first. But I think while we're sort of mentioning sequels and adaptations and things of that like, um, what is something, Chris, in one of the sequels that you thought they expanded on that actually like worked? It actually fit the Dead Rising uh, universe, because I'm sure there are several changes we could all spend another hour talking about that we really dislike, <laughs> but I'd rather highlight uh, some elements or features that they included that actually worked and uh, was a welcome addition to the overall franchise. Uh, I mean, love, love it or hate it, um, the, the, the games, the, the, the first game especially, things like Jill's Sandwiches, is uh, full of uh, nods and references to Capcom's uh, vast library of 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 um of games and, and wider ip and i really liked in the fourth one that you had this huge open world sandbox and you could dress up as your favorite character so it took that kind of dress up element in, from the first game which had no effect the only kind of effect it ever really had was if you got the the, the mega buster if you you did the i think it was for killing fifty three thousand, basically the the population of willamette in the first one um mm. and it kind of took that idea and in the second one some of the outfits had some effects but in the fourth one you were living out this the whole the whole game games generally are about like a powerful film um and and this wish fulfillment thing and the fourth one just took that to the next level and said okay cool like dress up as 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 guile dress up as bison dress up as blanca and and a bunch of other people and and all these other guys from uh all these wonderful weird games and i think dante and a few others uh, this is like 14 or 15 uh outfits i think or something silly you can dress up as uh and 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 you know what uh we've we've got this huge sandbox we can interact with more zombies than ever uh go nuts just just go off and do your own thing and um I, I I love that it, it was it, it understood what it wanted to be 
I think probably more than any of them. I think four has the best sense of identity outside of the first one. And I love the first one because it's obviously a Romero thing. And we were talking about this before. For me, the fourth one is almost like a Shane Black movie. It's, it's kind of a very kiss, kiss, bang, bang, lethal weapon. It's got mm. that that dark, uh, comedic thriller edge set at Christmas. Yeah. Um, the, the high personal stakes, whatever. Uh, and I, 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 the tone of it, I thought really, really worked. Um, that that for me was excellent. Um, I think that's a that's a thing that's always um, uh, uh, kind of stood out for me actually. Um, that's and also the the continuing um, uh, skill tree, the the leveling up as well. I think that's I'm glad that's a mechanic they never got rid of the idea of play, level up, improve, die, come back, keep your skills, keep your abilities, and then you know you can either take this to new game plus or you can just restart as well. So I think those two elements of four having a really strong sense of identity um and uh and and, and kind of the, the setting for it going back to Willamette and uh, and yeah that, that that leveling mechanic i think which which actually for an open world action game uh i think it works kind of that mixture of the the action and adventure with this sort of very light rpg um i but i you know to kind of blend those two together and i, I know lots of games have done it since everything from you know like Dead Rising and then Borderlands and all these other other sorts of uh, hero shooter games they've all done it but um, I think I think Dead Rising did it really really well and it continued to do it throughout the rest of the series yeah, absolutely how about you Neil what is a, uh, a feature from one of the uh, sequels that you think work well probably Dead Rising 2's sort of mishmash weapon making you know, I don't mm. know, that, that feels perfect for what they're doing you know in that environment that you would have the ability to to create your own weapons from weapons, yeah, and yeah, it was it, it. It was definitely my favorite part about that game that you could just you know find all these funky combinations of things you could combine to make this new death dealing thing. You know, the bucket thing with the bucket drill hit. <laughs> yeah. like, like, I mean, that is so impractical, but it's brilliant how it works. You know, it's like it's. Taking those little things you could do in the first game that weren't really going to do anything major, like just sticking shit on zombies' heads, and then making it this whole big weapon. Well, you know, that's that's perfect evolution of the idea. Um, yeah, and two had a lot of great stuff in it. I think in terms of just sort of involving the idea, I just didn't much care for the change in tone. And the whole, well, you're, you're trying to make someone else... The fact you're relying on making someone else li- continue to live in that game is the bit that sort of doesn't work for me. It's like, because with the way the first game is, as I was saying, it, it is not that kind of game. And the second game kind of forces that on you and it just feels false. But I like pretty much everything else about that game that that, that it introduced you know with the the extra modes and the the battle arena stuff is really cool I like that it makes sense especially for the Vegas setting you know it is perfect for that world it it is just a shame that it was you know not quite the game I mean I played this game Dead Rising 2 before I ever got to play the original Dead Rising at that point, mm. because it still hadn't come out PlayStation, mm. and so I was excited about Dead Rising Two because oh, I want to be, you know, I wanted to play that game, and now finally one is on PlayStation, 
and it ended up being a bit disappointing because it wasn't what I expected from what I'd learned at the first game and mm. that still rang true after I had played Dead Rising you know, it, it became the case where Dead Rising is exactly what I wanted brilliant great love it and as I said still my favourite to this point but yeah Dead Rising 2 felt like a disappointment not not to the degree that Devil May Cry 2 was a disappointment compared to the first one because you know it, Dead Rising 2 at least expands on its ideas and still tries to be fun and steady and have nutso moments whereas you know Devil May Cry 2 is you know it's them trying to do a serious version of the first game and failing spectacularly but yeah, it, it's. I, I would love to see more of that sort of combo of what they did into with the original, and that's where on the record kind of felt like a good middle ground, you know, where they were sort of doing. You know, they had Frank West, his ideals in that environment, brilliant. It worked, you know. That, that's why I preferred that over the main game. But um, yeah, so yeah, that that would be my pick. I would say. Yeah, I really love the uh, the combo feature because, well, the combo cards, right? That you learn about different combinations and things like that to form these new weapons that give you um, the PP, which is basically XP uh, boosts yeah. with every kill. Um, but what I love about it so much is is that it feels like a continuation of the features from the first game. Not only obviously in the sense that you are literally combining many of the weapons that were available in the first game with new weapons and things like that or new items but also that it rewards experimentation because you yeah. don't need the combo cards to craft anything. So I always got to the point where it was like, I would find an item and then I was like, well, I've got some time to kill before the next big milestone uh, event. Or I had just given Katie her Zombrex and she wouldn't need it for another 24 hours. And I was like, well, I'll just mess around with some weird items that I found. And eventually when you test enough things, you'll end up creating something new, which yeah. in and of itself is a reward on top of the fact that it's an even more effective means of killing zombies. Um, and also that the combo system, it's not just practicality, but it also feeds into like the humor of the games, right? In the original, especially with something like the paddle saw, which is chainsaws and a kayak paddle or dynamite, which is dynamite and a piece of meat um, to lure zombies and things like that. Like it's not just silly for the sake of being silly. It's more about them being a better means of, again, like inflicting zombie carnage, but the humor is still tied in there. So the fact that they're able to combine that with the practicality of it, with the humor of the series, just made it feel like this natural evolution rather than something that just felt kind of forced or something as forced as uh, or contrived as them using your daughter basically as like leverage in uh, in Dead Rising 2, which I also was not that big a fan of. But um, for me also, I think the one thing that I appreciated about Dead Rising 4 that carries over from one and off the record is the uh, return of the phone uh, instead of a camera now it's frank west's cell phone right he's yeah. using the cell phone to take yeah. pictures and then of course there's tying into the humor again he can take selfies with the zombies uh and you get more points based on like the zombies whether i think they're in costume or they're just messed up or you put a, a piece of meat in their mouth or something or other but i just like to see that natural evolution and return to something that they kind of did away with in Dead Rising 2, but then also, uh, correct me if I'm not mistaken, but in Dead Rising 3, that's not a feature either. Um, So that's something that I at least appreciated that they returned and it also still had a functional use to it, right? Again, it's something that helps you level up, which then, like Chris had said, you kind of are able to use that skill tree and 
while the RPG mechanics are light, I still think that, again, they are very critical to the fourth game having somewhat of a structure now that there's no um, time constraints, right? Because at least you're getting rewarded for everything you do. So I find that, especially in the original game, I had forgotten that there's that leveling system that nothing is really... Nothing is a could be perceived as like a waste of time really I suppose that might not be the best way to put it but like if I decide to go off and kill 200 zombies in between milestones there's still value in that you know what I mean I think that in a game that does away with sort of that 72 hour time constriction it's still important that the player is getting rewarded in another way maybe Um, but I just appreciated that those kind of like light RPG mechanics had been a continuing factor through one two off the record um, I haven't played three, so I'm not sure if it's in that one, but just for a majority of the series, they have carried that over. And were they ever to do like a fifth entry, um, it would be an element that I think they definitely would have to carry over because it gives so much structure to everything rather than just like, well, I'm just going to go putz around for an hour. Yeah. When you can putz <laughs> around for an hour, but you're still getting something out of that, which like Chris had said, you have to be willing to experiment because you learn things, but also it makes you more... Uh, powerful, obviously, when you go off and fight a psycho that killed you three or four times before that. You're always building towards something rather than yeah. maybe an, an aimless murder spree like you would in Grand Theft Auto or something like that. I wonder what the series would be if it returned now. So I, w- I was mm. always really surprised. I was surprised by the the, the strength and um, and the, the um, kind of high uh, production values of Case West and Case Zero. I, they were they were they were excellent. They felt to me like uh you know dead rising 1.5 or or 2.5 they felt Mm. almost and when you kind of combine them they almost feel like another game in themselves i was really surprised that capcom never because at the time episodic gaming was you know huge we had the the explosion with like uh telltale games and all the the walking dead and batman and stuff i was always and i still even now i still remain surprised that they never continued with that episodic approach i know i know there's always a thing like uh, telltale themselves release a lot of information about oh you know if a hundred thousand people bought episode one you'd only like take through maybe like twenty thousand people to, mm-hmm. to by the time you get to episode five but i just thought it was a really novel approach to the dead rising franchise of uh take take the core concept of the game and distill it yeah. down so take like what could be a 40 60 80 100 hour romp through an open world and have an open world but it's a, it's a very small very contained and it takes all the best elements so it takes some of that time constraints it takes the leveling mechanic and it takes combo cards and all those sorts of bits but it just asks you to do it in a very short thing and we're going to we're going to release yeah. a couple of these in between our main entries to kind of keep you satisfied and i always thought do you know what? to me that's more interesting than take the base game and put some dlc in it so i come back to it for four hours in six months right give me an entirely i don't know it's probably not the most cost effective thing to go making two three four entries into a series <laughs> between yeah. making another big one right because you know 100 200 million dollar productions for a big triple a game these days right i just i just find it fascinating that they never did more of those and that they haven't done it and I, I i do wonder what they would because i think when the uh uh the, the the studio closed um uh blue castle or capcom vancouver as it was it was known they were working on like another entry they were doing like, some in some like insider info link leaked about the next one um yeah there was a, supposed to be basically 
Dead chucking Rising his daughter 2. in Mexico yeah. or something. Um, yeah, in Day of the Dead, that was it. Yeah. Which, which would you know be fantastic? I just, I still find it. I, I, I still find myself wondering if we had another one today, would it be, would it be closer to one? Would it be closer to four? Would they try something episodic? And as you said earlier, Neil, like people, people are the way they consume games, even you know the way that they they uh, they they understand games. Like we don't all buy a Prima Guide and flick through a, a big glossy thing, and we go on. Eurogamers guide website or IGNs or whatever or, or even just forums and stuff um, I, I just I wonder what the perception would be over at Capcom HQ when they're all sitting around deciding what to green light and what direction to take it in and the production team are going oh, it needs to have XYZ if they did it today maybe there is one being made it'd be madness if there wasn't one of those being made and also Dino Crisis as well that's a whole other episode it'd be madness if there's not <laughs> one of those at least being discussed more Dino Crisis please please. But what, what, what would it look like today like with the, the landscape being what it is what would it be I, I, I find myself wondering I think you could go down so many avenues but I've, I, 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 I don't think there's a real I don't think you could put your finger on it and say because like you could look at what's the next Call of Duty going to be you can kind of guess that right like you kind of know from being a fan <laughs> of the series and playing them over the last 10 15 years whatever dead rising is going through so yeah lots and lots of guns lots of guns and you know 100 <laughs> people in a battle royale or something um but what does what does the next iteration if it ever comes back and i i hope it does what does it look like because it's one and two and three and four and all the ones in between they're all relatively different but if you look at say one to four two worlds apart and what does yeah. five look like now? Yeah. So, uh, as I was saying, you know, by the time this podcast goes out, the article will probably be out. But I, I argue on Bloody Disgusting about you know the idea that they should give it another shot, you know, because they've proven they can find risk-free ways of revitalizing franchises. You know, they did it with Resident Evil uh, Seven was, you know, to be fair, a bit of a gamble. You know, but the bones of Seven allowed them to then bring back the old style of Resident Evil in a new way with Resident Evil 2 Remake. And I think that might be the way to go with Dead Rising now is to reboot it and remake the first game in much the same way that they remade Resident Evil 2 and have something that captures the essence of why Dead Rising is great as in, you know, this character that is unfeeling and you know, doing everything to his own means and has a flexibility in what you can do in a time frame, but, you know, have some sort of modern conveniences if players want them, you know, like that. And, you know, you can have, if you want Infinity Mode, you know, for instance, you could either unlock it normally or like they've done with many of their games, you buy it if you want it early you're thinking like a marketeer there (laughs) I mean mean, that's it isn't it that's exactly what they would do they would make that yeah yeah, they would say here you go these are things you can have all this stuff as a starter pack if you will if you want to do that and and that that pre-order the deluxe edition get it all off day day one I mean it yeah, I mean, with Village even recently have done it where they've had this sort of like, there you go, here's a whole bunch of unlocked stuff and you can go and go nuts with it. I think you're probably right. Yeah, with Resident Evil 5 and 6 taking that much more action-orientated approach from, from 4 and then the reception and kind of critical and commercial not being anywhere near what 
it, it used to, it's still selling well and then i think seven uh has kind of really shown them that going back to those roots pays dividends both like yeah. uh, among media uh, the the reviews were were fantastic uh and 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 it's old you know it's all it's one of the best selling in the series i think eight is eight like the top third best selling or something i think something like that but i mean the series itself has yeah. done like over 100 million units i mean yeah, it is nuts apart from monster it's like their best selling series i think now but um uh, second was... second second best monster hunter uh is uh is it? Oh, Christ, yeah, yeah Monster Hunter's. I, 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 I looked it up. Monster Hunter's uh, 70, 72 million units lifetime as, as of their last earnings call. And uh, yeah, Resident Evil's 110. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. It's, 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 it's enormous, right? And then uh, even I think, um, I think uh, 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 Street Fighter's like half that. I think Street Fighter's like 50, 50 something. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, it's like, there's a big jump off from that point. It's like, I think that's because, you know, Resident Evil, you know, five and six, as much as they deviated, you know, they were the top sellers for a long time. You know, they were the games that people bought because they marketed them right, you know. But critically, as you said, that they didn't do well uh, um, compared to other games. And that has become Dead Rising's fate, I think. It's like they're not doing well critically, but they're doing enough. You know, and I think Capcom have figured that it's okay to maybe sell a little less, you know, by sort of pandering to the wrong the crowd that don't actually give a shit necessarily about the franchise and pandering to the hardcore. I think it goes back to that sort of couple of generations ago now where companies decided that horror games were no, we're not gonna do that anymore. You know, it's like because some shit data they were fed said that oh horror games aren't in now people don't want them and so you know that's why dead space died a death within three games because they continuously pushed it more action focused and resident evil went to become well resident evil 6 the forecasts uh, on dead right on dead space 3 were were crazy i mean four four million uh at launch uh, was not enough to, to guarantee the continuum. I mean, it's amazing that it's come back when you consider yeah. that three three. Yeah. Love, it, love it or hate it, right? It still sold really, really well. Oh, yeah, but just not but enough it, to metrics to keep are wrong. It. Yeah. yeah, they were trying to make everything sell as well as their top sellers, and, and that's where horror suffered for a while. But now, uh, we've discussed this on previous podcasts. If it weren't for indie horror the big horror franchises wouldn't be coming back left, right and centre. We wouldn't have had Resident Evil 7 like it was if it hadn't been for indie horror games that, that did first-person horror well. We wouldn't have Dead Space coming back as a result of that. And again, this is why I think Dead Rising will come back and probably be a reboot because that's the safest, easiest money Capcom can make. You know, it's like reboot a franchise that a lot of people who are still gaming grew up with make it still have a lot of the stuff that was in that but also make it accessible to new people perfect you know and it doesn't carry the stigma of being Dead Rising 5 you know after Dead Rising 4 was like not for everybody it's like it, it seems to this formula seems to work for Capcom really well it's like Devil May Cry 5 as much as it is 5 in name you know really it was like I like the DMC, by the way, yeah, the, the Ninja Fury version. 
it isn't this game that you everybody was whinging about. You know, this Devil May Cry 5 is the sequel to Devil May Cry 4, not the sequel to the DMC, and that's it. And Capcom were very, very savvy about selling their games on like that in terms of nostalgia and saying like, well, people like this, so we'll do this. And like that, and that has been them the last few years and they've made sure to cheap out a little bit, you know, here and there. I mean, Resident Evil 3 and 7 and 2 and all that, they all used a lot of the same assets and that was fine because you were still getting a lot of, you know, you were still getting a different experience each time. And yeah, it's worked for them. You know, it's like it's a cheap way for them to boost their profits. And now they're at a stage where they can do that for something like Dead Rising, where they can say, yeah, yeah, we we can remake this game, have a studio take this on, you know, and do something a little different. And I think it would work. When you're looking at the future, too, you have to look at kind of the how long it's been since the last one, right? Because, again, Mm. if not everybody is as, like, Hardcore people, obviously, if you say, okay, we're getting another Dead Rising game, they'll show up. But again, they need to cater towards the wider audience, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, what's the easiest way to get an audience back into this game or introducing a new audience to the game would more than likely be, let's reboot the original or remaster the original or something to that effect. And best case scenario with that, it would be what Chris was talking about, where the hardcore options are all there, but they're optional. Um, It would be that type of thing where you can enable everything because then obviously that will would do well and then they're like okay now people are you have to re-familiarize i would assume an audience with a franchise like that then okay now that we've got the audience there within the next i don't know two to three years we'll release uh quote unquote like the day of the dead version you guys were talking about where they end up in mexico the type of thing where it's an i would assume it's an easier sell to be like hey here's this evolution on something that but not before you re-familiarize an audience yeah. with that. And I would assume that's why uh, the new debt, the new dead space is just a dead space remake, right? Because well, it's, it's, been... it's, it's different. So they've already come out and said that oh. what it's mm. in the same way that I think the kind of two big things they're talking about at the moment is that one, it's like God of War and it's, it's seamless and there are no loading scenes mm. and all that sort of stuff. But the other thing that they've said is um, it's going to take a lot of the original concept stuff and some of the stuff that they did throw out and, couldn't execute for whatever reason so it's it's hmm. gonna it's like a reboot but not a reboot so it's kind of a oh, reboot, okay. which i think is is interesting i think um hmm. I, I think that'll be interesting to see how well that works and whether we see the return of other ip i if i were capcom yeah. I, if i were capcom well i'd be i'd be rich if i were capcom that'd be great um <laughs> if i were capcom i think with the as you mentioned why we're here right it's because the 15 year anniversary my way would uh would be start small give out the ip the, the character life uh, uh, likeness rights to to like a dead by daylight or someone like that like a behavior and have them put chuck and nick and isabella and and and, and kind of a couple of those characters or even into a, a zombie army uh, four uh, you know we're seeing a lot of um horror um like classic horror um uh, uh, icons go into mm-hmm. these 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 staple service games uh, with with the kind of the, the skins that we love see if there's an I'd, I'd be surprised if they, they weren't going to test the waters in some way and see if there's an appetite for frank and his gang to return in some way ahead of either green lighting or just announcing that there's there's something like that i think that that you know you can go uh, you know to do to do a dead rising you, you you can't do a dead rising with any less than like 50 million in terms of like development budgets the the scale that you need to do it on and even with the 
the uh, the, the, the power and the versatility of the engines these days and the draw distances and you can put thousands of zombies simultaneously in there and stuff I think you know those things still don't come cheap and you have to have like that that um yeah. that commercial viability and, and I think the, a good way to prove that is to see what's the reception to, to giving that uh that that kind of likeness and, and and seeing if you can mobilize those those fans the people like us the people who are doing a podcast 15 years later about how much we love the series and we're banging on about why the first game is is the best out of 22 iterations or something they've got on their <laughs> on, on their on their their, their site and stuff so if i were capcom again god i'd be so rich i'd be so rich i'd be living on an island um or my, i buy i buy them all i buy i buy a shopping a better place. island a better island than this island that's I, sure. I, I, I i'd buy an island and i'd john hammond it i'd i'd just do dino crisis i'd do main dino crisis make some dinosaurs um but i i i you know i'd give out that that license that I'd, I'd give out that ip and i'd, I'd test the waters with, with with fans before i committed 50 75 100 million dollars in development and uh production yeah. marketing costs as well i mean that's that's pretty much what konami are doing you, yeah yeah they're yeah. not they're not doing anything the, the mobile and pachinko and stuff and other than that they're, they're gonna give out their licenses yeah. here and there aren't they that's it yeah and they're just like oh and here yeah oh sure dead by daylight can have silent hill content brilliant and it works and it hypes people up and you know i can say this you know working for global disgusting that the dead rising you know while not resident evil or silent hill is one of those franchises that that piques interest you know that people care about you know it's up it's probably like the same tier as dead space you know got dead in the title good chance you're gonna be up there um yeah so it's one of those big franchises i said this before in terms of uh horror games um while you know for bloody disgusting especially there are so many horror franchises and interesting exciting things that could be done say in movies you know that you could report on that people would lap up but in terms of games, there are so few actual franchise potential there, you know, compared to that. You know, we can say Resident Evil or Silent Hill, but beyond that, there's a really big gap. You know, mm. And games like this are the next sort of step on to, to feed it. And because games, you know, change in a way that's different to film, Many of them sort of die by the wayside, you know. Alone in the dark is you know, dead. I don't. We are probably not going to see Alone in the Alone in the Dark be a major franchise hitter ever. You know, from now, you know, Clock Tower the same, and that, that's a shame because they should have the same reverence. You know, when you think of movies where they've made many, many awful movies in film you know, franchises you know like the Saw films you know uh, like there's maybe two good films in that entire franchise yeah Friday the um, 13th and all those classic staples where there's exactly, 10, yeah. 15 yet, entries yeah because they get away with it because the you know movies are where they are and I think you know, the viewpoint isn't the same for the games and it should be I think at this point I know they don't make as much money because you know, it's a subgenre, and the big money-making games are not genre games. You know, they are live-service games now, and that's the way it's going to be. 
and so hence why Dead by Daylight is a very good example of a place to advertise your franchise in a way because it is a live service game therefore if you put it in there people are going to connect with it better because there's a bigger consistent audience going on with it but so you know it, it needs to be kept up in some way and preserved in some way and I think Dead Rising deserves that you know I think it's done nothing wrong enough in the franchise to the degree that it deserves to be ignored I, and I'd say the same with Dead Space you know Dead Space 3 wasn't a bad game it's just that the bad parts of that game were pushed upon them you know they, they weren't Visceral's choice and it was EA's choice because they wanted to make more money out of something and betray the essence of that series you know and Dead Rising has done that to a degree where they, they've gone against the grain of what the series was but it was never unlike Resident Evil it was never that kind of series where it felt like a betrayal it was just more a case of well, we're trying to find ways to make this series more of a thing for everyone you know and for people to enjoy and that's why I think a reboot would work best is because as I said before it's roguelike elements would suit the modern audience more you know I think that would well work well with the, with the people we have now uh, getting into games and would sort of reinvigorate interest in, in the series you know having that sort of style of game that is difficult if you want it to be has its own challenge has its experimentation and you can do what you want with it I think that would generate more interest in the series than just making a Dead Rising 5 that's continuing maybe the story of 3 which unless 3 ends up being on other consoles and more people could get to experience it or 2 you know you're not going to it's been, really it's been, it's been too long now I think you have to you have yeah. to uh, in t- I think you have to go back and retell the first story or you have to in, yeah. like do away with the whole the whole family yeah, like just take it back to the foundations because it's been fresh. four years and in gaming terms four years is a, a lifetime, lifetime. yeah, yeah it, because of the, how fast things go and yeah so uh, and I know this for a fact you know, Dead Rising 4 when it came to PlayStation didn't really gain much traction you know because it's been an Xbox series for so long so if you want to redo it and reboot it and bring it to all sort of major, you know, bring it to PC, PS5, Xbox Series X, and then you've got a do-over, and you'll bring it to everyone from the start, you know, and you can do it your way, and for Capcom, that seems to work. I think it'd be interesting to see, yeah, as you say, how they, how they, how they do it, and how they kind of perceive where it will sit in the market, uh, uh, not just now, or you mm. know, in three years, two, three years, whatever. If they were to decide now to 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 do something, they've got to do something around the anniversary. Well, I say got to. You'd hope they would do something That's around it. the anniversary. I, I think I think they're too busy uh, uh, with the continued success of of Resident Evil and Monster Hunter. Basically, they they don't they I mean, don't gross. they don't need to do anything for <laughs> for a long long time. But but dead dead yeah, like they're going to make money hand over fist. But I think the the Dead Space one is really interesting because as you say. It wasn't so much a studio 
the game they wanted to make the third one you could see the bones there but the things like the the microtransactions and the weapon upgrades and stuff like that and the the the, the kind of the timer stuff for the upgrades going into that that was clearly like a product of the time i think uh gamers now vote with not just their wallets but they can jump on a keyboard and they can have impact they can they can converse directly with developers and studios and i think um it's easier yeah. than ever to to understand what the public consensus is and i think there's like a lot of strength in the the the, the word of the consumer now and i think that's the reason for instance we're seeing dead space come back and it's already made a, a commitment to being it's 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 the first one but better it's the first one without microtransactions it's the it's the game you know and love but bigger and seamless and, and stuff and i think they've kind of positioned it in a very smart way it's very kind of relevant for the time you know they they, they could have quite easily had the first one they could have sold the mass effect armor and the dragon age armor and all these other sorts of kind of perks and stuff and i probably still would have bought it but you know it's 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 going to do even better because they've they've made this kind of commitment and it's it's uh it's a commitment that uh you know consumers want now and, and consumers they vote with their wallets and you know they've got power uh, at their fingertips with their, their their social channels and stuff and they can give that direct feedback well that that chunk of time in between releases like from a publisher standpoint it would be negative probably because right you have to refamiliarize audiences with it but from a developer standpoint looking back at that whole period of time you get to experience a lot more of that feedback, right? You can see how those studios receive feedback, especially in the case of like Dead Space 3. And then they can kind of like in hindsight, look back and use that sort of maybe online fervor or just cute, whatever they learned about the development process of that. And then really funnel that into a product that based on consumer feedback would be more in line with probably their likes or what they would want were they to bring that back. Yeah. So I think that it's- that's a it's a it's a really hard line to 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 walk actually in and kind of taking the, the fan hat off for a second and kind of putting the business mm-hmm. hat on right people will say i want i want nostalgia and i want the classics right and i say that and i say that as someone who's playing dead rising and if 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 the next dead right if dead rising 5 came out and it was basically just dead rising one i i, I don't know like is that enough to to get people on board you, the the the, the, the tricky thing with development is you can't give people what they ask for you have to give them what they think they need rather than what they exactly. immediately yeah. want and it's it's such right. a fine line to walk that that whole idea of um again that you know i think that's the the, the place where dead space 3 fell down is is the bones of it is a game that people believe they wanted and then ea gave them what they felt they needed and what was relevant at the time which was microtransactions and timed upgrades and all these sorts, which were kind of very very popular things at the time and it fell down because it went it went too far one way than the other but it is a it's a like a, when when it comes to um greenlighting a project and then the development process and stuff you know there's a, there's a there's an element of okay we it's been so many years we need to talk to our existing fan base we need to activate them we need to talk to new people how do we you know a series like dead rising yeah if i played the first one loved it and never touched another one how would dead rising get me in a year two three years time with that 15 16 17 18 year gap it's it's such a hard thing when uh audiences age up and move out of the that really easily definable demographic of maybe they're male 16 to 24 like it's you, you know how you're going to yeah. get that right you, you're going to talk to them through ign 
But what happens when they become a parent and they get married and they become a house owner and they're sort of 35, 40, whatever, and they, they don't have the time to, to game and stuff. And it's, okay, you, you think you can get 5 million sales by talking to those people because that's what you sold on the first one. But really, are they all going to come back? You need to talk to the new audience. You need to give them something new and, and they don't know people don't know what they want all, all the time sometimes a lot of yeah. them do but it's it's a really fine line to walk between what they say they want and what they'll actually pay for and it's 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 fascinating to to look at that kind of um it's just a really fine line to walk <laughs> but yeah, really, I mean, really. That, that's properly accurate because i was as i said go back to the article i'm putting out is i make the point that you know nostalgia isn't making a game what it was but look nicer it's about capturing that essence of why the game worked you know it doesn't have to control the same way it doesn't have to play the same way it just has to have that same feel you know to it i mean going back to this with capcom resident evil 2 it has that city and chaos feel to it you know where all this shit's going on and you're thrust into it. That's brilliant. That's what, that, and you have to survive it and it escalates. That is Resident Evil 2. End of the day. It, no, it doesn't mean it's better, but it means it at least gets what it's trying to be. And again, this is what it would have to be for Dead Rising. It, it would have to understand that the time limit is key. It has to understand that Frank cannot be a likable protagonist and he has to, has to understand the balance between goofing off and the consequence of time those are the three key things if you are going to make a Dead Rising reboot you know, they, they are the things that whether people may say they like them or not they are the things that make Dead Rising Dead Rising yeah absolutely and, and um, I'd be interested to hear about and you know companies like this never never share these sorts of things they very rarely come out i'd love to hear some of the internal uh pitching sessions because you know yeah. when when when, <laughs> when when something comes up and you know they're looking how do you fill you know q3 2025 whatever with this slot when you're two three four five years out what what makes commercial sense and what makes critical sense as well like what's there an appetite for and someone at some point has sat down and said, oh, okay, we should do Dead, Dead Rising 1 HD. And someone else has said, we should do Dead Rising 5. And someone else has said at some point, do you know what we should do? We should just do a big open world, which is like a battle royale and have 100 human players and a 10 million zombies in, a, in, a, in an arena, right? Oh. I know, I know, right? <laughs> I, I, can, I, can, I can see your skin crawling. Um, but but the, the point is, at the, the height of the battle royale, um, at the kind of the height of like Fortnite and, and, and all these other games, like someone's had that that idea and yeah. it's just probably, oh, probably come up and it's it's the, the as i said it's that fun thing of of walking that fine line between what players say they want and what they think they want and then um what they actually will pay for and what they will pay for is something new and something interesting and you have to almost try and predict the future and i think it'd be fascinating i would love to to hear some of the the pitches not just from a story perspective because you could have more of any character right but I think the yeah. the core mechanics and the gameplay and whether they think there's value in bringing back the timer, whether they think there's value in 
expand i personally i would love to see more personalization in the skill tree and the abilities you've got mm. so i yeah. could i could do a, a a run one time which i i just you know because the magazines give you that focus right you've got that limited inventory you pick up a magazine that's focused on you know diy weapons and, and you know you can swing yeah. a bat or a hammer for 10 times longer or you can ride a skateboard for 10 times longer i think i'd love to see that kind of personalization in in in, in that the, the character builds and kind of the depth yeah. and customization of it but I mean, do, do consumers want that? Is that is that gonna? If I greenlit that now, is that going to be interesting and relevant in two, three years' time? It's 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 so hard to know. And and I I would like I said I would I would just love to be able to pick someone's brains who has sat at a high enough level where they can look at the concepts and hear mm. the ideas and stuff. Mm. And these things never get shared unless they internally leak. And yeah, I'd love it. Basically, it, it comes down to them finding a way to repackage nostalgia in a way that is also palatable to a new audience. Uh, if you could do that, it's magic. And Capcom, as I said, have done that more than once. Um, and in some cases, given people nostalgia of something they've probably not really experienced in terms of, say, Monster Hunter. You know, where Monster Hunter World, it, it sold massively well, despite, you know, Monster Hunter being you know, a, a portable franchise for the most part for many years. You know, it, it, it found its audience, it found people because it, they understood what they were selling. And this has been the difference. And again, why I think it's perfect in, in timing for them to, to sort of reinvigorate Dead Rising is in the past, they have always been behind. You know, they've always... And Capcom weren't the only one. Uh, a lot of uh, developers from the East had the same problem of uh, adapting to the aggressive attitudes of the West, you know, that had, thanks to Xbox especially, had become the norm, you know, and had driven the industry into this whole new direction. And a lot of them really struggled to catch up and Capcom were chief among them and hence why they ended up making you know Counter-Strike Resident Evil and but shit and the like you know it, it happens because they're grasping at straws and think oh, we're no longer relevant and thankfully the industry has changed now where there's appreciation for appreciation for all kinds of things and the nostalgia for for what companies like Capcom used to do is there now because enough time has passed, whereas it hadn't really because Resident Evil 4 was like, for instance, was like the thing where they could sort of say, well, people want more like that, you know. But now they're saying, well, no, we want Resident Evil 4, but also the older Resident Evil, you know. And so they connected, they made the game there it was but also you know for them they learned from what was new you know they learned from like i said the indie space and they made that part of their message and i really think this is where they could learn again i think i think yeah go on oh i was gonna say i think monster is a really good example um and it's there are similarities between monster and dead rising in uh monster was a kind of uh, an like a, an enormous phenomenon over in in, in the east uh, the Asian market just it, it's it's an, a, a huge over there and I my first yeah. uh, 
job in the industry was as an events assistant uh, with Capcom. Uh, and we were doing a community meetup at the MTM and everyone was playing on their uh, PSP, I think it was. And um, but yeah. but there weren't any English translations for oh, what was it at the time? Freedom was it Freedom Unite or was it Try? I can't remember. It was one of the early ones. But there were no there were no English translations at the time, and it was a bunch of people sitting around on beanbags, uh, and there was like maybe one or two people who spoke enough Japanese that they could go. This means the and and it's it's still so they, this day remains one of the best community experiences I've ever had. But there was there was this enormous community over in. An entirely different region, which very very grassroots transitioned over to the West, and to see Monsanto World do as well as it has is is amazing. And it's it's in, yeah. interesting that there was that real. There's a base. It took a long time to kind of move across and and expand and and kind of become this global phenomenon. Dead Rising is, however you want to argue in a court of law, it's basically it is it's very Dawn of the Dead, right? And Dawn of the Dead is a staple of not only. Uh, uh, um, the the z- zombie genre, uh, zombie type genre, but it's it's a like a big part of that kind of idea of American capitalism yeah. and consumerism and and that kind of greed and avarice and that kind of satirical uh, uh, entertainment form in, in cinema. And it's just it's interesting that that there's a base over there. Clearly, like even with The Walking Dead winding down and stuff, zombie cinema still continues to to really. Hmm boom right and it's it, it, i just find it surprising that having watched the transition of monster hunter world and now it's you know 17 plus 70 plus million units uh lifetime it's 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 huge now right and 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 then you've got dead rising which is has a base in in its kind of the, the foundations of it in in, in the western audiences and it's it, 14 million units it, it just it hasn't quite translated and i just i find it fascinating to to why to, to kind of look at it and go why hasn't it and it, it, to me it just it feels like it should have and it's it's never quite gone the, the, the way it should have yeah i think it that may be just down to much in a way that cinema, cinema horror cinema is um you have two very different audiences you, you have your hardcore that you know they love the classics you know they'll they'll find out the niche products and stuff like that they'll, they'll love all these things and then they'll be, they'll be the people that watch anything that's you know put by PR and by advertisement out as being like oh this is the great big horror experience like that you know I, I think of like uh, James Wan's films you know as good as they are you know they are like portrayed as mainstream horror you know, in in the modern age, stuff like that, you end up with two very separate audiences. You have the Netflix idea of what horror should be, and then you have the old school idea of what horror should be. And you know, Fear Street personified that very well. I think the the, yes. the trilogy mm. in that it was it was an homage, and I could see like my wife and I watched it together. Exactly. Yes. Yeah she recognized bits like screen references and stuff but she wouldn't go back and watch friday the 13th or any nightmare on elm street or anything like that she wouldn't go back and, and watch those yeah. which i think is an interesting point you kind of make there yeah it, it it captures a uh an essence of a certain period of time in horror and that will always be the way there are people that grew up on a certain period of horror that really connected with them and that is marketed that way and games 
you know, have that, but being a smaller sort of pool to sort of draw from. And the fact that, unfortunately, a lot of the earlier stuff draws upon actual other influences, you know, from film and books and whatever, means, you know, you really don't have much of a competitive pool to sort of pull from and have this wide audience to grab from because people will always go, oh, I remember this Resident Evil game experience or Silent Hill experience. I mean, Silent Hill, you know, as big as it is, in one way, it's so, so much smaller than Resident Evil, you know, and and that's like the second biggest horror franchise in terms of games that there is. That's nuts, you know, that because Resident Evil understood that it doesn't have to be scary, it just has to be about what people who don't really go into horror for find scary. You know, it's like Silent Hill, when it, at its best, dealt in psychological horror. You know, and Dead Rising deals in this kind of horror that's personified in the 80s, you know, where it's like, it's horror, but... Satirical. Yeah, it's not really scary. It, it's not really terrifying or disturbing unless you're not indoctrinated into that sort of thing. But And so it exists in this weird middle ground that unless you're into horror of a certain kind, and that tends to be old school horror, you're not going to get it, you know? And I think games have come away since then where zombies especially have been used to the point they are now very tame and they are fodder I mean today alone I I think I played the Back to Blood beta which you know fun but zombies feel like fodder play Call of Duty Black Ops Cold Wars zombies mode zombies feel like fodder they don't feel like a threat in the way they should unless there's some sort of mutation you know, and Dead Rising had the perfect example of what zombies used to mean, where they were this, you know, yes, individually, they are nothing if you have the right circumstances. But if you start being egotistical and you start thinking you're better than them, you will end up dying to them because you will not have the right things to to deal with that situation you will be cornered you will get caught out and uh, as we said before Romero's films teach that very well where they underestimate the fact that they are this lesser being to them and they will they end up getting their comeuppance as a result yeah but I think uh, if there was one company that was going to bring Dead Rising back in the right way and they have a track record of it proven at this point it would be Capcom right whether it be them being at the helm of it or whether they're going to uh, sort of branch out that IP like Chris was saying it's one of those things where we don't know when it's going to be but hopefully it will be in the somewhat near future but uh, Chris it was a pleasure having you on to chat Dead Rising today Uh, it was it's always great when we have a guest that is uh, as excited to chat about a game for its anniversary or just to a game in general that maybe hasn't had a release in a while, but uh, it's clear that that fandom and love for it is still there. Oh, it's yeah, it's it's been a a, a series 
as I say, and I think it probably come across very uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, I think the one thing I didn't kind of touch on today that I just, kind of, as I know, we're rounding, rounding up um, the the publicity around uh, the games as well. Um, as uh, someone who works in games PR, um, that's always something that kind of stands out to me. But I, I have a, a very very fond memory of uh, Dead Rising 2's the the um, the zombie rights advocacy group they ended up um mm. <laughs> they did they did some like flash mob style stuff where they outside houses of parliament and they pretended to kind of advocate that, for, yeah. for for zombie rights uh the tape it or die thing there's a there's a bit where you save uh three or four people in 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 the thing and um and that's where you get the blueprint for i think the plate launcher that i'm pretty sure was a public uh pr campaign where you could the, the members of the public could submit ideas for tape it or die hmm. recipes yeah. and i think the plate launcher and something else uh were actually submitted by people who ended up in the game and and i, I <laughs> that one's from memory and there's a couple other bit like for capcom I, i'll give it to them they've done their their, their comms team their marketing department knocks it out of the bag like uh you know it's a bit old now but very funny the the human um butcher for resident evil four or five look that up that it's five that's very funny um, but yeah, just another thing to kind of call out, like with a game series like Dead Rising, you can have fun uh, in, at many, many levels. And Capcom always does a great job of that. And I, that was one of the things I meant to look up about some of their PR past kind of PR funds and the tape or die stuff and the, the, the fake advocacy rights group and stuff, everything that, that always has stuck with me. You know, I think anyone who works in a discipline has their favorite campaign moments from certain games and series that they love. Yeah. And, and that stuff is always and Neil's. Uh, smiling, I think he's probably remember seeing the press releases and pictures of it and stuff. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, I, I, I love the series. It's, it's all great for me. Well, hopefully they bring that same energy to uh, any and all further PR events. But again, we thank you for joining us, man. No, thank you for having me. Hopefully, I didn't t- talk too much. <laughs> I don't know how long we've been going for now. Actually, <laughs> time has lost all meaning. <laughs> a while, but that's good that we've lost track of time, considering how uh, how engaging and informative our conversation's been on a uh, a series that we all love. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.